I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. The Senate confirmation hearings for Supreme Court nominee Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson have begun. For some Americans, such hearings produce a catatonic state of cataclysmic proportion, many assuming that these hearings are really the ultimate nighttime sleep aid. And for other Americans, sharing an equally catatonic state of thoughtless stupor, they're watching these proceedings sort of like the deranged NASCAR fan hoping they get to see the 22 car crash and political pileup that follows. Today, we're going to go behind the headlines and inside the room where it's happening for a better perspective on what this Supreme Court confirmation hearing should look like and could sound like. Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. Well, someone who has literally stepped out of the room where it happens uh, to talk to us today, Utah Senior Senator Mike Lee has been part of the Senate Judiciary Committee hearings and joins us on the line. Senator, thanks for uh, making some quick time for us today. Oh, thanks, Boyd. I was happy to step out of the catatonic quagmire <laughs> for just a moment in order to be able to discuss this with you. <laughs> well, it has been an interesting start. We know we're down to the last Senator Marsha Blackburn is the uh, final member of the Judiciary Committee uh, to speak. And then I know we'll have introductions and then finally we'll hear from Judge Jackson. Uh, as you've been in the room, you can't always capture things uh, on TV or just by sound. Uh, what is the sense uh, in the room as you've gone through the hearing thus far? Well, we're hearing reflections from different members of the Senate Judiciary Committee on what they see as the role of the Supreme Court and what they see as the Senate's role in the confirmation process. For for my part, I congratulate Judge Jackson on her nomination and thanked her for her recent visit with me in my office and described to her what I view as our as our role and more importantly, the role of the Supreme Court of the United States. It's to decide cases and controversies brought before them. And it involves interpreting federal law, provision of federal law, either a statute or a provision of the Constitution to decide what it means when people disagree as to its meaning. It's a very simple role. And it's a role that, in order to be successful, depends on the fidelity of those discharging the judicial role and making sure that they exercise the judicial humility and the judicial restraint necessary to do the job. 
Uh, you used a great uh, visual in your opening statement uh, in terms of really making sure we're secured to the right thing uh, in all of this. And in doing so, really sending a message, I think, to uh, colleagues on both sides of the aisle in terms of let's get beyond uh, these hearings being a, a circus atmosphere or a political joust fest uh, and really turn this back into what it was intended to be. Yeah, that is exactly our desire. I, now, I am concerned about some of the things that I heard today from some members of the committee. Uh, efforts, consistent efforts, in my view, to delegitimize the court as an institution, to delegitimize uh, members of, of the Supreme Court who have already been confirmed, who certain members don't like. And as I point out, one of the reasons why it's important to treat Judge Jackson with dignity and with, with respect and to focus on the right issues is that, you know, odds are pretty good that she's going to end up on that court. We don't want to play a part in delegitimizing the court, knowing that she may well end up on that court, as some members of the committee have unfortunately done. It's also just not nice to do that to human beings. And more importantly, as I pointed out, it distracts, it serves as a distraction from what we're supposed to be focusing on which is qualifications and willingness, judicial philosophy, and whether to what extent that's consistent with the necessarily limited and pointed role of the federal judiciary. Uh, such an important thing, and I think it was such a stark contrast. Uh, Senator Whitehouse, uh, who spoke immediately before you, uh, had gone down that delegitimizing path in terms of dark money and what this, you know, what had happened under the previous administration. Uh, and I think that is such an important uh, point for all of us in terms of what should these hearings really look like and sound like. And it seemed to me in in your comments uh, that it was really the antithesis of what Senator Whitehouse uh, was doing politically. To say we really should be asking questions of how do you interpret this? What is your philosophy? How do you come to decisions? How do you apply the Constitution? Uh, are you hopeful that we can get to that kind of conversation when we actually get to the back and forth uh, questioning of Judge Jackson? I certainly hope so. That's where I intend to focus my efforts in reviewing her previous judicial rulings and in, in asking her about her judicial philosophy. That's what I'm trying to do. What I'm getting at at the end of the day is uh, something that I quoted from Justice Barrett, then Judge Barrett, when she went through this process. Uh, she, she compared the, the Constitution to the mass of the ship in the Odyssey when Odysseus asked his ship's crew uh, to tie him to the mast. He wanted to resist the call of the sirens, uh, uh, knowing that they would call upon Odysseus to do things that he knew he shouldn't do. And so he said, tie me to the mass. And she said, that, that is our role as judges. That's our role as a society operating under our Constitution. We want to be tethered to that document, knowing that the sovereign call would otherwise convince us to do something we shouldn't. Uh, and that is uh, exactly what we hope out of all of our judges at every level of the judiciary, that important branch of government. Uh, Senator, before I let you go uh, and back into the room, I, I know there are, it is almost time to hear from Judge Jackson. Uh, real quickly, it is uh, World Down Syndrome Day today, and I know that's uh, something that has been very near and dear to your heart and a, a lot of effort you've done on the uh, Joint Economic Committee. Uh, give us just a, a quick snapshot there on the World Down Syndrome Day for all of our friends like Sam and Jonathan and uh, so many others who are such different makers uh, as people with Down syndrome. My latest report from the Joint Economic Committee found that 67% of babies diagnosed with Down syndrome are selectively aborted each and every year. 
And, you know, Down syndrome is a condition with a, a life expectancy that's increased dramatically uh, up from about 10 years back in the 60s to over 50 years today. Uh, these are people who, who live full and happy lives. They make substantive contributions to their families, and their workplaces, and their communities. And 99% of people with Down syndrome uh, report that they're happy with their lives. 79% of parents report that their child with Down syndrome makes their lives better. And from those I know, I'd put that number much, much higher than that. Nearly 5,000 additional babies with Down syndrome would be born each year, every year, if they weren't being selectively aborted. And, you know, in 50 years, we'd have over 200,000 more Americans who happen to have Down syndrome if selected abortion were ended. There's more than double the current population of Americans with Down syndrome, and we'd be better off as a result as a society. Uh. Thanks, Senator. We're going to come back to that conversation later in the show today, but we appreciate your efforts for all of our Down syndrome friends who do make such an extraordinary difference. Uh, we're going to let you jump back into the room as Judge uh, Thomas Griffith, uh, who you know well, uh, is beginning to introduce uh, Judge Jackson to the Judiciary Committee. Senator, thanks again for stepping out of the room, and we'll let you get back in the room where it's currently happening. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.